The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks look to end the week on a down note as investors continue to digest a flurry of global central bank rate hikes and implications for risk assets. We speak with one award-winning global portfolio manager about where investors can look to weather the storm. Boeing and its former CEO settled with the SEC over allegations it misled investors regarding the safety of its 737 MAX jetliner. And just days after issuing that macroeconomic warning, FedEx is taking new action to shore up its bottom line. Plus, House Republicans prepare to lay out their agenda if the party is able to retake control of Congress with just about six weeks to go until those all-important midterm elections. And then later on, Pepsi relinquishes its Super Bowl halftime throne to one little company from Cupertino. It's Friday, September 23rd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this Friday morning with a check on stock futures with the Dow, the S&P 500 and Nasdaq all set to end the week sharply lower, barring a massive relief rally today. We're not seeing it right now. Right now, futures are pointing towards a 157 point drop for the Dow Industrials, the S&P 500 down by 24 and the Nasdaq implied lower by roughly 90 to 92 points. On the bond market side of things, interest rates, obviously a very big focus given the moves by the Fed. We're seeing a little bit of a mixed picture, a slight tick higher in yields on the 10-year Treasury note, just about 3.717 percent. The two-year note yield 4.16 percent. So that inversion is still taking place where yields on short-term bonds are higher than those on longer-term bonds. But the 30-year long bond ticking slightly lower to 3.63 percent. Right now in energy, oil prices taking some moves here in stride. What we are seeing currently is at least U.S. benchmark WTI West Texas intermediate prices down just about 2%, $1.76 a barrel, $81.66. Ice Brent crude, the world benchmark gauge for oil, $88.69, down 2% there as well. In cryptocurrencies, we're watching the moves at least for Bitcoin watching that key 20,000 level. And for right now, we're still below it. 19,082, the last trade for Bitcoin prices. Meanwhile, Ethereum prices are trying to find some stability around this 1,300 area. We are still down fractionally there. Let's get a check on the early action in Europe. For that, we go out to Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom with the latest there. Hi, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, today is a painful morning if you're long the market. Investors across Europe are shedding assets. We've got, from an equity perspective, losses across the board. The FTSE 100 down 1.2%, one of the worst performing markets in Europe. We are seeing heavy selling in the oil and gas sector. Uh, and, of course, the FTSE 100 over-indexed to those oil majors. In FTSE MIB uh, over in Italy down 1.2% as well. Investors keeping an eye out for the uh, Italian election results. Sunday is the big day when Italian 
Floridians will go to the polls. Um, and we're also digesting fresh PMI data out this morning, which showed that for the month of September, according to these flash numbers, the eurozone economy is in even worse shape. Business activity contracting. We saw Germany suffer particularly um, uh, harsh conditions, deterioration in the economic outlook there. A bright spot was France, perhaps part of the reason we're seeing a little bit of resilience in the French market. CAC 40 down just 0.9%, but clearly a lot of pain for Europe this morning in stock markets. We're also seeing a lot of selling in uh, FX markets, the euro plunging versus the dollar. Here's euro down at 0.75% versus the greenback, 97.63, where we've crossed below a 20-year low versus the dollar. We're also seeing some weakness in euro versus sterling, which is notable because sterling is also selling off very sharply versus the dollar this morning. We heard um, from the UK chancellor, a new budget, a mini budget delivered this morning, all about tax cuts to try to protect the economy as we brace for recession. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tattlebaum, live in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Dom. Good Friday morning to you. Well, the SEC says Boeing will pay $200 million and former CEO Dennis Mullenberg will pay $1 million to settle charges over misleading investors in the wake of two crash of two of the crashes of the company's 737 MAX jetliners responsible for the deaths of 346 people. Now, neither Boeing nor Mullenberg admitted nor denied the SEC's findings, despite the multi-million dollar settlement. In January 2021, Boeing agreed to pay $2.5 billion to settle a criminal probe with the Justice Department over similar allegations. FedEx says it plans to raise shipping rates by an average of 6.9 percent across most of its services starting next year. Now, this comes as the delivery giant continues to cope with a global slowdown in business. The rate hike is higher compared with previous years and comes just days after the company slashed its profit and sales forecasts. And Humana and CVS are reportedly interested in bidding for Miami-based primary care provider Cano Health. According to multiple reports, the talks are serious with a deal likely to be struck in the next few weeks. Now, in speaking with those close to the matter, the Wall Street Journal says Cano could fetch a valuation of roughly $4 billion, Dom. All right. Sylvana Hanau with the latest headlines there. Thank you. Yeah. Back to our top story. And investors still digesting Wednesday's third straight 75 basis point or three quarters of one percent rate hike by the Federal Reserve. The flurry of rate hikes yesterday by other central banks around the world. And then, of course, what it all means for risk assets like stocks. Our own Brian Sullivan caught up with one global portfolio manager known for big returns and even bigger contrarian views to offer some perspective. Thank you, Dom. We are joined now by Rupal Bansali, Global Chief Investment Officer and Portfolio Manager at Ariel Investments. She's a member of the Barron's Investment Roundtable and has been featured among Barron's top 100 women in finance for the past three years. Under her leadership, the Ariel International Fund has been classified as a Morningstar five-star fund, with the Ariel Global Fund classified as a Morningstar four-star fund. And by the way, somebody I think I first interviewed like 15 or so years ago, RuPaul, so we're both still standing. Congratulations. It's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for joining us on CNBC. Great to be here. You know, you have said something to the effect of there is a regime change going on in the global equity markets. What do you mean by that, and how is it changing? Sure. Uh, I think um, the central point is that we are moving from a world of quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. 
And therefore, what worked during QE, which is when risk-taking was rewarded in a world of QT, risk-taking gets penalized. So that has significant implications for all risk assets and obviously equities being the highest risk asset class, but it's also other asset classes like below investment grade junk bonds. Uh, it has implications for anything that uses leverage because leverage is a form of risk and that will affect you know, things like private equity, uh, which takes on a lot of leverage. It can affect real estate, uh, which has leverage embedded in the business model. It can affect infrastructure. So this is a wide ranging reset of risk pricing across asset classes. That's the regime change. So let's get more into this repricing idea because the markets have repriced. I mean, you have to, we're down, what, 17, 19% on the S&P 500 from the highs. Uh, Global markets have been hit even harder. Have we repriced enough already to match the rate and inflation environment we're in? In my opinion, not at all. Uh, Mm. All we've done is give up a little bit of the speculative excess that occurred in 2021 Uh, that should not have occurred in the first place. Uh, We are at the beginning of, I think, a very protracted and pronounced correction in markets globally. I think the U.S. will lead that correction. Uh, It is the most vulnerable in terms of valuations. Uh, It is also vulnerable from the point of view of the dollar being extremely strong. And for foreign investors who invest in this market, a weakening of both the stock market and the currency means it's even worse to invest in this country uh, than, say, other countries. Uh, Also, you know, the junk bond market and the below investment grade market is the largest in the U.S. Uh, And there, the risk of default uh, and a a risk of fallen angels uh, where the investment grade bonds become junk is extremely high. Uh, And as I mentioned, the thing that I would be extremely concerned about is the repricing of risk downwards, which means the riskiest asset classes get hurt the most. Junk equities and junk bonds are the things I would avoid the most. The place to go to, because again, we are all investors, we have to put money to work, is towards dividend yielding companies with strong balance sheets. Uh, And that's an important uh, uh, caveat. It's not the highest dividend yielding stocks, but the ones which are high dividend yielding and the ones which have the resilience of the balance sheet and the business model that those dividends will sustain. In past market corrections, when we had a lost decade, which is uh, when the markets end lower a decade from now compared to where they started out, which is what I forecast is extremely likely uh, in the current environment. I'm not going to ask you to, to necessarily name specific names. You can certainly if you want. But can you give us an example maybe of a company or companies that would meet that sort of thing? Strong balance sheet, high dividend, but not sky high, because sky high tends to imply that maybe they have other reasons they need investors to come in. Absolutely. So I think, um, you know, not just a couple of companies, but I think generally speaking, European companies tend to be uh, higher dividend yielding, uh, partly because they tend to be uh, multinationals with more resilient operations uh, and, and stronger balance sheets. And uh, they tend to have, you know, family owners and founder uh, owned companies uh, where dividends are a very important stream uh, of revenues, uh, uh, cash flows for them. Uh, and so Europe is full of such high dividend yielding Uh, strong balance sheet companies. In particular, I would call out some of the pharmaceutical names in Europe uh, because healthcare will prove to be defensive against what I think is a very high probability of a hard landing all over the world from an economic standpoint. So companies like Roche, uh, companies like Sanofi, 
uh, GlaxoSmithKline, Novartis. Uh, these are some of the Swiss, French, you know, uh, British pharmaceutical companies. All of them have a dividend yield somewhere between, you know, three and a half at the low end uh, to really four or five percent. And I think they will be quite secure uh, in the coming years. Uh, Sounds like you're not too scared off, Rupal, by the, the, the energy crisis that threatens to put Europe into a recession or worse. I think as contrarian investors, you know, one should look for the opportunity in the volatility. Uh, I agree with you that the energy crisis is quite acute in Europe, but it disproportionately affects the manufacturing sector uh, and certain industries like the auto industry and so on, uh, and the chemicals and, and aluminum industry. Uh, but in terms of healthcare, you know, the manufacturing is not really energy intensive and the demand for healthcare products does not change with an economic cycle or with inflation, which is why I think that you get more bang for your buck if you try to secure the dividend yielding kind of stocks that I'm referring to in the healthcare sector. You can avoid, again, the worst effects of both uh, high energy costs and inflation, uh, and you can you can still get uh, strong dividends which provide right. income when European interest rates are so low. It's clear you think the U.S. macro market has more downside move to come. Is that is that a fair thing to say, Rupal? Yes, absolutely. And a pretty significant one. Wow. Um, how significant? <laughs> well, at a headline level, if you think about the Schiller P multiple, which I think is a good reference point, you know, we started out, I think, in the first half of the year at about 30 times P.E., uh, the average tends to be about 15. Uh, even if it just moves to the average, you're talking about a 50% correction uh, before even uh, you know earnings have reset downwards, which I expect to happen in 2023. If the valuations overreact, you know, and typically mm-hmm. their markets they do, you can get to a low multiple of 10 times. Again, these are wow. not forecasts. These are just, if you look at how historically markets behave when they come from a point of excess, uh, which is clearly what happened in 2021, usually from that high watermark, the corrections can be quite severe. That said, during those corrections, you can have some significant bear market rallies. Keep in mind, when the NASDAQ corrected 78% post-2000 during the tech bubble, it had seven 20% plus rallies during the three-year period, even as it corrected 78%. I think the quarter-to-date rally that we've had is one of these kinds of bear market rallies, and here is another regime change. Instead of buying the dip, people might want to think about selling the rip. Okay, well, our thanks to Ariel Investments, RuPaul Bansali, and Erwin Brian Sullivan, of course. For more of Brian's conversation with RuPaul, including areas of the world that she thinks are most compelling for investors, just head over to our website, cnbc.com. When we come back on this show, how one P.E. firm is trying to satisfy its appetite for deal making in what's been an historically slow year. You'll see what I did there. Plus, well, first it was Amazon and now the NFL is going deeper into Silicon Valley for its next major partnership. And then later on, this week's top insider buys, we list the companies and executives betting big on their own stocks. Got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
from their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to the show. European private equity firm Invest Industrial is buying a majority stake in restaurant company Italy. The 52% stake would be valued at around $195 million. Representatives from both companies saying they intend to develop the business and open more flagship stores and new formats in more cities. So joining me now in a CNBC exclusive interview is Andrea Bonomi, chairman of Invest Industrial's advisory board. Andrea, thank you very much. First of all, this news was big because it's a brand name that many of us know, especially here in the United States. Can you, can you take us through why this deal and what you think it'll bring for the Italy business and, of course, for your partners? Absolutely. I mean, there is a, a growing trend on, on food security, quality of food, and basically the lifestyle that is built around, uh, around food uh, in, in the world. So food is, if you want, one of the new battlegrounds that we have to deal with. So as a firm, we started investing in food ingredients, private label, food security, and uh, restoration, which is, which is uh, this, particular, this particular deal. And all these, these items, have a, a global expansion and a very big U.S. Uh, angle to them. And that's, that's what attracted us to this, uh, to, this, to this transaction. Obviously, it's a very fragmented market. So it's a market where, where there is a lot of opportunity uh, for us to develop it. Uh, Andrea, I mean, uh, those of us who've, who've, who've frequented Italy in the past know that it's not exactly like going to your local mom-and-pop grocery store or, or your local bodega in the city. It, it's not just a large chain grocery store like the stop and shop I go to in my neighborhood. It, it's a very different dynamic and, and some would even say more tilted towards the upscale side of things. Is that a view in your mind at all on, on, on how those food trends are playing out in, in the world right now? There is no doubt that quality is uh, difficult to get and more expensive than, uh, than, than if you want your general, uh, general supply. Uh, so there is a perception that uh, that uh, that it is upscale. But if you look at uh, you know even what happened with coffee, it is you know we have very few luxuries that we can that, that we can afford with today's economy. And uh, and upscale food and and the uh, the lifestyle that comes with it is uh, is we think one of the key items that we will find you know uh, happiness during these uh, these difficult times. Obviously. You know, uh, um, there, it's, it is more expensive than just feeding oneself. But in the next few years, even if you look at our ingredients business, we think people are going to spend a lot of a lot of attention to see where their food is coming from, the quality of it, and fr- frankly, unfortunately, also the security of it. And uh, so, it will be a, great, an imp- a very important area for every for all of us. You know, Andrea, one of the things as well as we kind of look at the broader landscape in private equity. There are a lot of things at play, a lot of variables at work right now, namely rising interest rates across the globe. You're in a business of borrowing money to buy companies. How much has the interest rate macro picture affected 
the deal-making landscape in your mind? I, I speak to a number of middle market private equity folks who all say that they're having trouble finding these deals in a time when they want to get deals done ahead of higher rates. Absolutely. If you go to in the competitive end of the market, which fortunately we're not because we concentrate on, on family businesses, if you go in the competitive end of the market, therefore uh, a slightly uh, premium uh, valuation, it is difficult to find the financing. And this will stop the liquidity which private equity has provided uh, to, you know, for, uh, to the interest of everybody in the last few years. But we will go that back down to more basic uh, type of, of transaction, industry-driven transaction, transactions such as this, as this one, where there is no debt after our, our capital increase in, in Italy, where the development of the product, the development of the company will be key. If you're counting on leverage, cheap leverage, one, for, one, uh, for once, you can't get it. But also, it's not going to work. I mean, uh, it's not going to work right now. So you're going to have private equity slow down in the next uh, 12 to 24 months, yeah, undoubtedly. All right. Uh, an interesting outlook there for private equity. Andrea Bonomi, thank you very much. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Still on deck for the show, your top trending stories, including soaring ticket prices to see a new home run king. We're back after this. Today's big number. trillion. That was the drop in household net worth in the U.S. during the second quarter, driven by the fall in stock prices, according to data by the Federal Reserve. Household debt jumped more than 7% in that period. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get a check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the latest. Good Friday morning, Francis. Hi, Dom. Good morning to you. Bermuda is on high alert as Hurricane Fiona's 130-mile-per-hour winds roars past the island as a Category 4. The powerful storm barreling towards Canada's Atlantic coast. President Biden signed a major disaster declaration to help Puerto Rico. The special master in the Mar-a-Lago document case has set multiple new deadlines. Judge Raymond Deary has given Donald Trump's legal team until next Friday to back up allegations made by the former president that the FBI planted evidence in his Florida home. The Trump team has until the 30th to declare any items on the inventory list that they say were not seized from the premises. Mr. Trump's lawyers must also provide reasons why they believe any specific document should be designated as private or privileged. Both sides are ordered to appear for a status conference on October 6th, and final arguments over disputed documents are due by October 21st. Now to an AFC North showdown in Cleveland and a veteran play from a rookie wide receiver. That kind of guy. Second and three. Trubisky. On the move, down the sideline, and reaching up for it is George Pickens, and he hauls it in. George Pickens. George Pickens this is a guy that's all known way for the incredible one-handed grab. The instant highlight set up the Steelers' first touchdown of the night 
a night that ultimately belonged to the Browns. Jacoby Brissett threw for 220 yards and a pair of touchdowns as Cleveland hammered through the Steelers' defense for the 29-17 win. For a Friday morning, Dom, you are up to date. Hope you have a good weekend. I have Nick Chubb on my fantasy football <laughs> team, so I'm happy about that Browns win. Thank you very much, Francis Rivera. Thank you. Ahead on the show, Tesla takes issue with California over its claims of racial bias at the company. And a reminder, be sure to sign up for the most powerful and impactful investment conference of the year. It's CNBC's Delivering Alpha. It returns on September 28th to New York City, and it's in person. I'll be there, part of the program. To register, go over to DeliveringAlpha.com. We'll be right back after this. Red arrows. Futures pointing towards a rough end to an already volatile week. Sectornomics, how the consumer is helping one set of stocks outperform the broader markets. Plus, move over, Pepsi. There's a new game in town, a tech giant winning the Super Bowl halftime show rights. It's Friday, September 23rd, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan. It's just about 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast, just outside New York City. And here's how the markets and your money are looking right now. Futures pointing, as I alluded to earlier, to losses at the opening bell. The Dow is implied lower by 196 points. The S&P lower by 28. And the Nasdaq down by, at this point, 106. A key focus will be those technology stocks and growth-oriented names. Treasury yields in focus right now as well. We had a nice move higher that we saw into yields yesterday, and now we're carrying through with that again again today. We are now above 3.73% for the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note yield. The two-year note yield just above 4.17%, and the 30-year long bond, as you can see here, about 3.65%. Oil right now also on the move, as you can see, just about 2% downside here for U.S. benchmark prices for West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil, $81.76 there. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures down $1.73 to $88.73. That's a similar percentage move to the downside there. Now to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hinao is back with those. Hi, Silvana. Hi, Dom. Well, Donna Partners disclosing a nearly 10% stake in Fresh Pet, sending shares sharply higher. In taking the stake, Donna says it could push the pet food maker to evaluate a sale of its business. And with shares down some 60% this year, the activist investor calls the company undervalued. Explosive allegations from some 1,400 former female Goldman Sachs employees have been unredacted in a class action sex discrimination lawsuit against the investment bank. The now public documents detail at least 75 reported instances of sexual misconduct by male managers, as well as seven criminal complaints alleging serious felonies, including rape, attempted rape and sexual assault. In response, Goldman Sachs says many of the complaints are more than two decades old and have been presented inaccurately or incomplete, adding, quote, harassment and mistreatment in any form are unacceptable at Goldman Sachs. And when identified, swift action, including termination, is taken. And Tesla is countersuing the California agency that's accused the EV maker of tolerating widespread race discrimination at its flagship assembly plant in Fremont, California. Tesla's countersuit alleges the state's civil rights department adopted, quote, 
underground regulations allowing it to file the lawsuit without first notifying Tesla of the claims or giving the company a chance to settle, Dom. All right, Silvana Hanau with the latest headlines there. Thank you very much. To Washington, D.C., House Republicans set to lay out their agenda if the party is able to retake control of Congress with just about a month and a half until those big midterm elections. But before all of that, lawmakers must come together to try to hammer out yet, yes, it's time again, for another deal to avoid a government shutdown. For more, let's bring in Jimmy Petakoukas, American Enterprise Institute economic policy analyst. He is also a CNBC contributor. Jimmy, it's like Groundhog Day. I mean, we go through this all the time. There's got to be some time down the line in my dream scenario where we don't have to keep doing this. But for the time being, for the time being, we do. So let's go through the debate arguments and deal making process. What's it going to take to get a deal to avoid a government shutdown and everything else this time around? Well, I think what's well, I think what's likely to happen uh, is that we're going to get a, a short term funding bill. So there's going to kick the can. So if you don't like Groundhog Day, you're going to get another Groundhog Day, perhaps closer to the time when we get the actual uh, Groundhog Day. Uh, listen, there's a there's there's a there's a debate here. It's not just the government funding. There's a lot of bills uh, that are, you know, legislation they would like to attach to that. Probably the, the biggest one and the most the newsiest one is this big permitting bill. Uh, that Joe Manchin just came out with his bill. It was sort of the other half of the Inflation Reduction Act compromise. Uh, and some Republicans might like that. Some don't. So there's some disagreement there. Uh, they have their own competing bill. And it's a, it's a pretty important piece of legislation if we want to get some of this, this clean energy stuff done in the future. Uh, we have that. We have Ukraine uh, funding. We have COVID relief. So there's a lot of like outstanding issues that aren't really technically part of government funding. So, so in this scenario, I mean, I mentioned the midterm elections. It, it's on a lot of folks' mind right now because it's looming. It's going to be there. And of course, we have a very, uh, I guess, partisan type scenario developing here with regard to how things shape up going into the next presidential cycle. In this kind of a situation, what are the optics on both sides for who can claim a victory and who takes the defeat if you're trying to get a deal done to avoid a government shutdown at a time when everyone's scrutinizing politics so much? Right. I think there's one thing Democrats would really like to avoid is that when they control the House and they control the Senate and the presidency, not to have a government shutdown. They do not want that. Listen, they have a little bit of momentum here. Uh, we've been talking for, you know, for the past year uh, Republicans were a lock to take the House and Senate. Now, especially with falling gas prices, look, we just had 100 days of falling gas prices, uh, which have helped Democrats. They have a little bit of momentum. You see it in the polls. You see it in betting markets, prediction markets. Last thing they want is something to disrupt that momentum. And a government shutdown showing that you know, they can't keep their own House in order. That's the last thing they want right now. OK, so if this is the case, and we have this kind of, uh, I, I guess, dynamic building. There's got to be a situation where you can say, hey, the economy is going to be front and center. The economy is going to be what it's going to all be about heading into midterms and then even beyond as well. What do you think the message is from, from both parties, from the GOP, from Democrats, about whether or not they are the best people suited to guide the American economy in the coming months and years given the turmoil that we've seen in many ways over the last several months? I think the Republican message is what's been going on in the economy for the past year, right? So we have, we, we've had much higher inflation. 
Gas prices uh, have come down, but they're still higher. And now we have uh, we have a federal raising interest rates. We have we don't have a lot of housing supply coming on, but rates are going up. So you have this kind of paralysis in the housing market. None of it looks like a stable, good economy. Well, Democrats are going to say, hey, forget about what's happened over the past year. Let's look what's happened more recently. We've had this big drop in gas prices. Uh, you know, people seem to be somewhat less concerned uh, about a, about a recession. You've seen if there's any part of sort of Biden's approval ratings which have gone up. It's been the, the economy. So they're saying, uh, don't look what happened nine months ago. Go Look what's happening right now. Republicans are saying, look at the big picture. So they both have economic arguments. Uh, and history would say that whatever people think about the economy right now is probably pretty close to being locked in. So, so okay, Jimmy, and I want to kind of tie this into what's happening with the Fed because the Fed is a big focus right now. Two mandates for the Fed. They, they control price stability, or they're supposed to, as well as employment. Those two things are very key to any economic story told to millions of Americans. Which is more important? preserving jobs or fighting inflation in your mind? Well, for, well, for voters right now, inflation is obviously top of mind. Uh, we, you know, jobs are continuing. That looks, that looks pretty good. Inflation has, been, inflation has been the story. I think fundamentally for the Federal Reserve, uh, they do not want to have a repeat. Uh, I mean, seared in their minds, you know, it's still the 1970s. We don't want to have a repeat that and the volatility uh, that caused. But right now, still, if you look at polls, inflation is number one. And if that's number one, uh, you know, they just have to go to the pump, gas prices down. So that the, the falling gas prices is a big factor. And that's a big plus. And we might be sort of here at a bit of a sweet spot where we have inflation coming down. Uh, jobs still look good. And any any impact of these Fed rate hikes is lagging. And we might not see that really affect the job market significantly, much less a recession until after the election. All right. Jimmy Pethokoukis with the latest there on the midterms and the economic impacts. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. Time now for your weekly exclusive insider buying segment. For that, we send it out to Brian Sullivan. Brian. That's right. We are still bringing you your weekly insider buying segment, looking at the biggest stock buys by company executives over the past week. The data, as always, comes with our thanks from Verity Platforms. And once again, we have another big week. So let's get to it and count you down five to one. All right. This week, the fifth most insider buying was at oil company Comstock Resources. The CEO stepping up with a $975,000 buy, by the way. Comstock has seen a fair amount of insider buying lately, something to keep an eye on. Number four, another energy-related stock, that is API Group. A board member buying $1.39 million of the pipeline servicing name. Shares are down 40%, so definitely buying on some weakness. Your third most insider buying, a much bigger name in two different ways. That is Starbucks. Board chair and star investor Melody Hobson doing a $5 million buy at Starbucks picking up nearly 55,000 shares of the coffee chain at $92.58 per share on average. It is Hobson's first insider buy in nearly 10 years. By the way, Verity notes that Hobson wasn't the only buyer. Another board member also making a big buy at Starbucks. All right, now to your top two for the week. The second biggest insider buy is at Sarepta Therapeutics, a board member buying $5.9 million worth. And if this name sounds familiar to you, it should This is his second big insider buy in two months, so keep an eye on Sarepta. But the biggest insider purchase of this week goes to a new name to this segment, Norton LifeLock. probably hear their radio commercials all the time. 
Well, the president of the company is trying to <clears throat> unlock some value, buying 10 million worth of the stock. Maybe he sees value there. The shares are down 23 percent in just six months on NL- NLOK, so buying on a bit of weakness. So there you go this week. Comstock Resources, API Group, Starbucks, Sarepta Therapeutics, and Norton LifeLock. All names to watch, and we will see you for this exclusive segment again next Friday. All right, our thanks to Brian Sullivan for that exclusive data. And it's a segment, again, that you will only see here on Worldwide Exchange or if you're a CNBC Pro subscriber. So go to cnbc.pro, cnbc.com slash pro to sign up today. Coming up on the show, the call of the consumer. We'll look at one sector outperforming the broader market this year. But first, as we head out to break, some of your top trending stories. Apple is issuing an update to its iPhone operating system, iOS 16, to fix several bugs that have cropped up since the iPhone 14 went on sale last week. Those include the camera on the iPhone 14 Pro shaking when people try to use some third-party apps like Snapchat and TikTok and pop-ups constantly warning users that they're copying and pasting. New York Yankees fans are paying top dollar for a chance at being a part of history. Prices for seats in left and right field have skyrocketed at Yankee Stadium as as Aaron Judge chases the team and American League record for home runs in a season. Stadiums anywhere he's going to be playing. Resale site SeatGeek says a pair of tickets in the first row of right field sold for more than, get this, $1,100. Judge is sitting at 60 home runs, one behind Roger Maris, who set the record for the American League back in 1961. In the NFL, says Apple Music. Yes, Apple Music will be the new title sponsor of the Super Bowl halftime show. PepsiCo had been the title sponsor for years now, since 2013. Reports say Apple may have paid as much as 50 million bucks a year for the five-year deal. More than 120 million viewers watched the 2022 halftime show, which featured a throwback to West Coast rap and Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, and Kendrick Lamar. Super Bowl 57 will be played in Glendale, Arizona in February. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. If you've been noticing that ticker and little stack in the corner of your screen there, you've noticed that the Dow Jones is now implied lower by roughly 270 points at the opening bell. That would imply right now session lows for the futures market for the S&P Dow and NASDAQ, so we'll keep an eye on that. It is now time for this month's Sectornomics, where we are taking a look at the consumer staple sector. Now, so far this year, it's been an outperformer relative to the broader S&P, and that could be in part because of the more defensive aspects of the sell-off that we're seeing in stocks with products and services for its companies that remain essential even during periods of economic stress like what we're going through right now. So as we look for areas of possible opportunity in the sector, the data and markets team at Charts took a look at the price-to-free cash flow ratio for many of the stocks in this group in terms of the names with the low share prices relative to their free cash flow. We see a number of grocery and packaged food names like Kroger, Kraft Heinz, Campbell's, General Mills, and Kellogg's, among others. On the other hand, take a look at some of the stocks that look a bit pricier with regard to how much you pay for every dollar of free cash flow. In this particular metric, we've got names with share prices that are relatively high compared to cash flow after capital expenditures, a mix of big box and beverage names in the consumer staples sector and discretionary sectors land on the list here. Take a look at Dollar Tree, Target, Monster, and Walmart. So again, an interesting look here at consumer staples. Again, an outperformer so far this year. 
Well, coming up on the show, investors are looking to close the book on a volatile week for stocks. Two money managers tell us where they're putting their money to work, if anywhere at all, coming up next. But first, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates, our colleagues and contributors. As we head out to break, here is Hispanic Association on Corporate Responsibility CEO, Sid Wilson. We know that corporate America has a lot of work to do to make sure that we are fully inclusive of Latinos, particularly uh, on corporate boards, in the C-suites, as well as that pipeline development uh, for making sure that Latinos are included, especially for Latinas. Latinas by themselves um, would be a G20 country if you just took Latina GDP alone. And together, um, all of us, uh, allies, as well as those of us within our community can continue to be that positive force that America needs. Okay, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As you are seeing right there on your screen, we've seen a deterioration in the stock market over the course of the last 30 or 40 minutes or so. Right now, the Dow is implied lower by roughly 260 points, the S&P lower by 36, and the Nasdaq down by 132. So this is hovering just near session lows for equity futures, as you can see there on your screen. The S&P 500 futures chart over the past 24 hours or so has been generally down, but then took a leg lower in the last half hour or so here. So let's talk more about the markets right now. Joining me now are Chuck Self, Chief Investment Strategist at Tandem Wealth. Also, Tiffany McGee, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Pivotal Advisors. She is also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Tiffany, Chuck, I I just showed the futures picture right now. I wonder, Tiffany, we'll start with you, what your intuition, what your gut is telling you about whether or not this sell-off is over and whether there is any kind of capitulation anywhere in sight. Well, that's the question, Don, right? <laughs> Good morning. Uh, so I, I think we're talking about the sell-off. Of course, we're talking about the market's reaction to the Fed still. And we can't talk about uh, the Fed without talking about, of course, inflation coming down. Um, and it's hard to talk about inflation coming down without talking about real income growth. And so what that is, just to the audience, is how much money an individual makes after adjusted for inflation. So getting back to this idea of a soft landing, right, so if the Fed is able to do that, we hope that that kind of reflects in the markets. And a soft landing is going to require the Fed to slow GDP growth carefully. And so, again, 68% of GDP is consumer spending. We know that. So spending is going to have to slow down. And historically, the main driver for spending growth has been real income growth. So currently, we still have solid wage growth. We're still adding jobs, right, comparatively speaking. And so there's no reason to think this is going to slow down significantly this year. So the Fed will likely have to continue hiking rates. And I think uh, more than what the market has already baked in, what uh, people are really uh, expecting. So I think that this is going to continue. All right. So, Chuck, in, in this kind of a situation, we have a lot of differing views about whether or not we're going to retest the lows again, whether new lows are going to be made. I wonder if, if this is an environment still where you are putting money to work. And, and if so, what kind of opportunities are you seeing in a market that's, that's already down as much as it has been over the course of the last six to nine months? Well, it's been a stock-by-stock market. It's even hard to invest in any particular sector. So, for instance, uh, you you were just talking about the consumer um, area, 
And we actually like TJX, uh, for instance. We They have the treasure hunt experience in their three brands, TJ Maxx, uh, Marshalls, and HomeGood. Um, and with the recession, they're getting a, ch- a chance to pick from bloated industries of, uh, 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 inventories of other retailers. And this has allowed them to have a great selection, especially going into the holiday season. And so the PEs are below uh, the five years averages. And so stock ITGX is one that we are adding to our portfolios. Okay, Tiffany, I wonder if you're taking a look at that kind of an economic or market thesis. Are are you playing the same way or or are you looking in other areas of maybe even like the beaten up tech sector where, where there may be bargains out there, maybe being the operative words. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Chuck calls it stock by stock market, and we, we really call it selectively adding equities. And we've been doing that all year. Uh, we, we're always selective about our equities. Um, but in, and for us, it's always about balance, balance sheets and business models. But when you think about, and we're really talking about um, these uh, how investors react in the short term, these tactical shifts in a portfolio. And so the, the question is, you know, where do you go, right? Because it's becoming harder and harder um, to, to kind of uh, make those decisions about tactical shifts. It's really becoming a labyrinth, if you will. And we're adding uh, equity selectively. Um, so defensives actually are, 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 are uh, doing well right now. Um, but we also like to invest in themes. And so I talked about a uh, theme last time I was in the show. And so, um, you know, we, we like uh, emerging markets. We like um, uh, digital transformation. We like e-commerce. There, there are a couple of things that we like, but it's really um, investors have to be very, very careful, especially when it comes to something like EM. You're not going to invest in EM uh, in an index. We don't recommend that. Um, China has a very uh, uh, has this uh, no uh, no tolerance policy, zero sure. to- tolerance policy for COVID. Not going to do Russia. So where do you go, right? So selectively, um, you've got to be really be careful about what's going to uh, um, really um, help your portfolio in in the short term. Okay, Chuck. Last word to you here. Are, are you worried about a recession? Well, yes, we think that a recession is is likely. Uh, the Fed has. The tightening and, and global banks across the world have been tightening. And this eventually will lead to economic slowdown. And given how much tightening there has been, we think we're just starting to see the effects of that tightening. And so we expect there to be a slowdown uh, into a recession going into much of 2023. All right. Chuck Self, Tiffany McGee, thank you folks very much. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Uh, Squawk Box picks up the market coverage coming up next with the Dow. Right now, futures near session lows implied lower by 225 points. Have a nice weekend. We'll see you on Monday. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.